I'm Katie Yale, the Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources Magazine, as well as the Architecture and Design Expert for Buildings Magazine. Today we are here with Rebecca Donner, Founder and Principal of Inner Design Studio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we just wanted to chat a little bit about um, healthcare, the way that these healthcare sector is different than um, other types of sectors. So will you just start off a little bit by explaining what you do, um, how you started Inner Design, and really what your focus is? Uh, well, uh, Inner Design Studio, I started back in 1993. Um, it wasn't this big grand plan. It just was an opportunity that I had. Um, I was 27 years old and I didn't have a ton of experience, but what experience I did have was all healthcare. And so when a client had found out that I was out looking, they had approached me about letting me know what uh, design firm you end up going with, we'd like to follow you. So with that, I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'll just put up my own store and let them um, follow me. And so, and that's mm -hmm. what I did. Um, and what healthcare is known for, especially in the national market, is that you um, don't ever make anybody mad because someone's always buying another healthcare company or someone's always changing. And that's exactly what mm -hmm. happened. Surgical care affiliates and then they were bought out by HealthSouth. Um, so, the type of design that we do is all healthcare, um, and that encompasses just about everything you can think of: hospitals, uh, acute care, children's care, um, behavioral. Behavioral is very popular right now, um, and then we also do outpatient surgery centers, uh, mm -hmm. imaging centers. Right now, we're doing a lot of freestanding emergency departments that um, are basically an outpatient clinic with um, all of the things that you would need in an emergency room. Um, let's see what else you had asked what we do. So uh, in that, we select all of the interiors to the construction documents. We write all of the furniture, the artwork, the uh, window treatments, drapery specs, and the interior signage. Uh, some clients have us purchase, so we do everything and make it a turnkey situation where they basically show up and move in. Uh, and then some clients, um, you know, we, we don't do the purchasing. We work with uh, who they want us to work with. Mm -hmm. So um, scoop to nuts, depending on what you want to buy, and yeah. <laughs> uh, we're all over. We've done work in uh, 43 of the 50 states. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so just to start out so that people are aware, especially um, for newer designers who potentially are trying to figure out what they want to be doing, um, what is the difference between designing for healthcare and designing for other sectors? So um, it's a great question because, unfortunately, I think healthcare in a school environment gets kind of the oh gosh, not healthcare. There's no creativity in that. Mm -hmm. and that's actually not the case. Um, I find it to be very challenging work. It's very complex. Um, there's constantly uh, problem solving all day long. Um, but there are a high uh, level of constraints or a high number of constraints. I mean anywhere from codes to infection control, budgets, standards, yet it's very fast paced. Um, you can go from a, uh, a sketch to actually seeing something manufactured, uh, especially in the outpatient world within a year. Um, but it is so rewarding. And uh, I think that the designers need to understand that there, there is creativity. Yes, there's constraints, but there is a lot of creativity. Um, 
healthcare is different in that we do have our own set of guidelines and our own codes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be very concerned about infection control, uh, where a lot of people obviously don't have to. So you've got to be able to specify products that can hold up to the rigorous cleaning that has to take place at a hospital. Um, and then we have all types of uh, patients. So you could have a bariatric patient, meaning um, you know, overweight, big person, to uh, a pediatrics, or you could be working with geriatric uh, patients who maybe had hip replacement. So you're working with ortho um, or working with wheelbound uh, visitors. And we have to make everything safe. So safe to walk on, safe to touch. And, uh, and then we also need to make them feel comfortable. So um, there's so many challenges, but it, it's, it, it's wonderful work, very creative. And um, I would, anytime I go and I speak to the schools, um, I let them know that it's just not a formula that you do and then implement a drawing. <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of work to it. Well, when it comes to codes, um, how do you keep up with all of the codes that that come across your desk. I know that even just as uh, a design editor, the amount of codes that are changing and that we have to keep up with can be overwhelming. Um, how does that process look for you? So you're right. It is always, it's a moving target. And so mm-hmm. what's nice is that when we kick off a meeting, an architect tells us uh, what code we're going to follow. So mm-hmm. uh, if you're in a certain state, they obviously uh, at the state level adopt certain years of a code. So they could kick it off and say, this is gonna be you know, a 2014 IDC, the International Building Code. And then along with that, we're gonna uh, follow the different AIA facility guidelines. So uh, we usually start with that. And then what is where, or, or I should say the place that we normally get a little bit is uh, the local code. And sometimes uh, these, Areas of the country, the code enforcer is, um, you know, he's a big guy, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he likes to challenge us in a positive way. I try and keep the spin positive, but um, so th- those are really where our hiccups are. Going in, we always know what we're dealing with. And then uh, as things change, there's just so uh, much publicity when something changes, uh, like the pharmaceutical code that just changed. Um, there was a lot a year prior to that so now we all know so uh with the internet it, it's a lot easier than it used to be but i would say that our architects mostly are the ones that kick it off with what we're going to follow mm-hmm. great um and when it comes to designing for different environments and different types of people particularly healthcare environments in which there is a lot of anxiety uh it seems with people entering um, any kind of, of healthcare facility, what are the things that you pay attention to psychologically? Oh, and that's a really good question. So there's a lot of, uh, now we call it evidence-based design where we're finding out what are the triggers and the things that help a patient or even a visitor feel more comfortable. And, um, we work with the hospitals and the corporations now with a more patient focus versus a um, 20 years ago where we worked on, you know, what the C-suite budget was or what the corporation budget was. Mm -hmm. And um, with that, we also are looking at um, their HCAP scores. So this is a long way to answer this question, but um, (laughs) that's the survey. So usually if we're going in for a renovation, we find out what are they fighting and what are the patients saying on those satisfaction surveys. And then we kind of back 
into how we're going to resolve it. But with that, um, we are looking at natural lighting. We are looking at ambient noises. We are trying to keep it not loud. Um, we are looking at giving the patients uh, more control. So if they're in their room, they can control the lighting. They can control the temperature. Um, we work a lot with the, um, the IT people in scheduling. Um, so uh, on their, either their television or there's a separate monitor that lets the patient know uh, what their day looks like. So as opposed to um, you don't know what time the doctor's going to come by, you know, you have a better idea of what your day's going to look like if you're an inpatient. Um, we also work on keeping room for the family. So trying to keep those patient rooms a little bit larger so the family has a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, just letting them see the outdoors, making sure that the wayfinding makes sense and it's not oversigned. I think we all can think of a situation, especially in public transportation, where you're trying to figure out which way do I go? Mm-hmm. Trying to keep that dialed back a bit. So um, we've identified what the typical triggers are, and then we get down in the weeds with the uh, facilities and find out what their surveys look like and mm-hmm. uh, try and correct that. That's great. Um, are you finding that there is more overlap in healthcare between the different types of healthcare that exists. I guess one of the things that I'm thinking about is um, just on a personal note, when my, when I was about, I was just about to turn four, my two-year-old, three-year-old sister, two-year-old ended up in the hospital. And it turned out that the only place that had room was an adult hospital and they actually weren't prepared for a child. Um, and so that was like my first memory of, of a hospital was was being in an adult facility. And it feels to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but like th- those aren't things that really happen anymore. Or if it if it does, there are there is the ability to be able to, uh, you know, work within, you know, with, for that patient, even if it's not exactly the type of patient you usually work for. Um is that something that that you talk about in your design, uh, or is that something that you come across when you're uh, working on healthcare locations? We do we do talk about it. So we find out um, what the area needs. I guess they t- the hospital's telling us what they need. So mm-hmm. in situations where um, maybe it's a rural hospital, we have to be all things to all people. Mm. But when you get to the larger uh, cities and you are doing just an orthopedic hospital or you're doing just a children's hospital, um, you know, then that's really dialed down just to that one population. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, but when we're in a hospital where we're going to uh, be all things to all people, uh, we try and uh, accommodate everybody. And so um, with a general room, I guess, a med surge room, you know, I don't know that we would make it look pediatric friendly, mm-hmm. but as you would in a pediatric, you know, floor. So I don't know if that mm-hmm. answers your question. It's so specific anymore that, um, gosh, that's a hard question to answer. Yeah. My <laughs> because I think, gosh, I wonder if that is a common problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I hate that because their biggest uh, concerns really are not making them gender specific. So when oh. you go into teens, they don't want this to be the boy room or the girl room. And they want a, um, a teenager to feel just as comfortable as, you know, a four-year-old. So you don't want it to baby-like, if you will, yeah. and be insulting to a, you know, a 14-year-old. 
So, but I've never thought about it on a broader scale that would if a child came in and there's no room for them. So, well, I'm hoping that, you know, it seems like there are a lot more children's hospitals this day in general. <laughs> this was, this was like, you know, early mid eighties. So, um, yeah. which I absolutely love. We have so many, um, children's hospitals that, that are, are, we get information about. And I know I'm located in Iowa and the children's hospital in, um, at the university down in Iowa city was built so it overlooks the football stadium. And it's become this wonderful uh, tradition that after the first quarter, everyone in the stands turns around and waves to the kids and the kids wave back. And um, and it's been such a great, like everybody absolutely loves this tradition now. Um, and, you know, looking at this, the psychological effects of, you know, artwork and, you know, light and bringing outside in, what are you finding as far as the psychological effects on, um, on patients when they do have either, you know, uh, interaction with the outside world or natural light or more artwork? Yeah, so that is so popular and people are so much more aware of this. It's been such a hard sell. Um, probably five or six years ago, and now it finally has caught on, and we call it biophilia, mm -hmm. meaning you're identifying to the outside. And um, yes, it, it's challenging when you're in a big city. You know, not every window can look over, um, you know, a nice field of grass. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, it's very important. And so what we do when we're in a big city is we would, you know, change up the artwork and we would add things that are images of, outdoor or more murals or, or larger things that help them identify uh, with that. Uh, but natural light is huge. Making sure it's the right artwork, the psychology behind the artwork. We um, often speak about how smart and you have to think ahead of the situation. So one of my favorite examples is when you think about labor and delivery and you automatically go to mother and child, well, not every mother leaves with the child. Mm -hmm. So it's very important not to show mother and child. So mm -hmm. we'll show um, children's feet hanging, you know, from something or, you know, sh children's shoes or something that doesn't show a mom and a baby. And same way when we're with, um, you know, the elderly population, you certainly don't want a boat sitting out in the water by itself. You, know, mm -hmm. you just have to think about what they're thinking about in, in the stage of life that they're at. So there's a lot of psychology and where you're going to hang the art. If you're in senior living or you're in uh, an area where everybody would be wheel bound, wheel bound chair or wheelchair bound, yeah. I mean, um, we would lower the artwork. You certainly oh. wouldn't hang it what if you were standing. So it, it's just trying to um, accommodate the audience, I guess, and, um, and to think it through and to make it safe and, and comfortable. But yes, outdoors is, huge and they're finally getting so much um a feedback from that and it, it, it's very popular mm -hmm. well that uh makes me think of you know because i had never thought about that fact of you know not every mother leaves with a child and how does the artwork you know um how how is it able to interact with with the patient so that they aren't feeling you know, worse when they leave uh, than, than they already feel. Um, are there other examples that you have of the way that 
the healthcare design of the space can help um, lessen the the grief or the frustrations or the pain that a patient is going through. Sure. So in addition, staying with the mother daughter or mother baby, um, we also incorporated in our signage. Mm. So one of the things that we like to have on the sign, so say you have a patient room one, two, three, and um, you don't want the janitor or somebody to come in and ask the patient, how's your baby? Oh, Did yeah. you have a boy? And so we uh, incorporate it where they can uh, put a, it's a little angel wing and it can just be, and nobody knows it. It doesn't mm -hmm. stand out, but it just attaches to the sign outside. And that way that's code for the staff to understand what has happened when mm -hmm. they walk in. And it just keeps, um, you know, the language more popular mm -hmm. or, or more upbeat. So um, we think about that. Um, gosh, it, it, the biophilia is huge. So especially in the cancer wards, um, we try to give them hope and outdoors. And and we're trying to make sure that um, cancer is not a death sentence. You know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, the cancer wings were full of a lot of sadness. And not that they're not sad now, but we try to make them uplifting and, and show cancer patients doing things. So if we're going to do photography, we're going to show um, the patient that's lost their hair out bicycling, or we're going to show them, you know, achieving regular day skills. So um, just, you know, and same thing with children, sick children, showing them doing things outside the hospital. So just giving them hope and um, that this is just a small part of your uh, time. And this is a small chapter and you're going to go back out in the real world. Um, it, it's just hope, selling a lot of hope. Um, it's funny though, we try to also in our colors, we have to be conscious of, you know, what they're going through. So, uh -huh. you know, if you're having cancer, you probably don't want a lot of yellow because mm. you might be jaundiced already. Or, and, uh, I always think of this story. We uh, have a project right now in Aruba and here in the States, uh, it's very popular to have kind of a spa theme and calming theme and biophilia in the green. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show this to the, um, cancer facility that we're doing down there. And uh, at the end of my presentation, the uh, administrator says, well, Rebecca, this looks kind of oatmeal to me. It's very plain. And I said, well, we're selling calm. And he said, Rebecca, we need bright colors and this has to all be redone. And so I kind of sat there for a minute and <laughs> the meeting went on and I'm just feel like, gosh, how did I miss this? And I had had a presentation on my iPad for a pediatric hospital. So I asked if they would like to look through that and that's how they celebrate and show hope. So I'm also finding that it's not always how we see it. You know, mm -hmm. it certainly goes to the area. So our hospital in Aurora is going to be bright orange and bright blue <laughs> and lots of bright, bright, bright yellows. And it goes against everything that I would do here in the States, but they say that's what they sell hope on is vivid color. So uh, I stand corrected in Aruba. <laughs> that is great. Um, so you had brought up uh, signage and wayfinding, and I know that this is such a frustration to some people when you go into a hospital because you're already kind of discombobulated, um, and sometimes the wayfinding can't like is a little bit more difficult to understand. Um, what are some things that designers should know about wayfinding in a healthcare? Uh, environment. 
Well, the first thing I'm always telling my designers here is less is more. Mm -hmm. So don't oversign. I find that so frustrating. And we try to make things, make you move through a space naturally versus having to see a sign. So maybe it's the floor pattern that gets you to the reception desk. Maybe, you know, here in America, we tend to go to the right first instead of to the left. Hmm. Um, And just so try to incorporate things. You tend to go towards light versus towards darkness. Um, so with that, we incorporate that into our design and then make sure that the signs have less words. So, um, cafe versus, you know, cafeteria on first floor or small things like that, that we know we don't need so much. Um, also we make sure that the contrast is the right level. I think there's nothing more frustrating than, and there is an ADA code on this, but if the contrast isn't quite right and you can't quite tell what the word says, um, so we do a lot of um, imagery as well on top of the, uh, the word, actually. So uh, cafeteria might be, you know, a coffee cup with steam coming out or, you know, things that are more universal. Uh, it, it helps. And English isn't always everyone's first language. Mm-hmm. So um, when we get into areas where we have to do a lot of, um, you know, Spanish and English signage, that gets very complicated. Mm-hmm. So images come in handy there. So, um, yeah, less is more, I think is, is the best answer. Mm-hmm. Great. And then with all of the things, all of the changes that have happened, let's say in the last five years, cause I feel like there's enough just in the last five years between, um, changes in the market and politics and, uh, society's way of looking at healthcare as well as technology. Um, what are some of the biggest changes that have happened in the last five years and um, how do you approach them? So, yeah, it's always changing. So um, after the Affordable Care Act uh, got introduced, that's when we really saw a lot of disruption in the healthcare market. Mm. And with that, um, the hospitals are being held accountable for anything that a patient takes on while in the hospital. So say you go in for a hip replacement and you leave with staff. Mm -hmm. Well, the hospital can't charge you to get you back on your feet to recover from staff. So with that, there's a heightened awareness of infection control. Mm. Um, So that when we used to sit down and we would talk about the design and it was mostly the hospital with the leaders and then the budget guys and all that. Now we have got the infection control team there Mm -hmm. and they talk about um, the the common denominator is the darn janitors Mm -hmm. and what they are capable of cleaning and how typically they don't speak English and how we're going to show how something needs to be cleaned, but it needs to be in a video and not in instructions. So we have to think a lot about that, uh, and and that's an ongoing process as they're finding out um, what best works for their facility and then how do our finishes uphold, you know, to those rigorous cleanings. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's huge. And then with these HCAP scores, um, these surveys that the patients get to fill out, um, that dictates the reimbursement percentage for Medicare and Medicaid services. Mm -hmm. So... Um, with that, they can grade poorly on, um, you know, they didn't get a good night's sleep. It was so loud or um, you know, they didn't feel comfortable. So um, with that, we've changed and now we've become more patient centered. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, that's where we're coming in with changing the light levels in the corridor. So instead of the lights being on bright at eight o'clock, they're dimmed down and it's less lighting. We're doing a lot of that. Um, the ambient noises, you know, for infection control, we've taken out so many of the soft surfaces, carpet especially, but how do you absorb all of that noise? So we're doing a lot with acoustics and acoustic panels. Um, so just so that patient has a small chance of getting a good night's sleep, mm -hmm. keeping the room, you know, over the top clean. Uh, and then also a big thing has come out, uh, preventative care versus sickness care, mm -hmm. if you will. So we're trying to design the hospitals to be more um, all-inclusive, if you will, with wellness centers. So um, you don't always have to come to the hospital when you're sick. Maybe, you know, you come there and you work out or you're there for a nutrition class. So we're incorporating a lot of uh, that. And then with um, today's current problems, we have to balance security versus patients feeling they can just walk in and uh, it's a welcoming opening place. Mm. And, and that's an ongoing challenge. Um, we got a touch of that in an area where uh, they had a lot of gang violence in the ER. So someone gets shot and uh, they come to the hospital. Well, then the other gang's there for retaliation. Mm -hmm. So um, it, just trying to incorporate all of that security is um, gosh, it's just ongoing. So an ER is a lot easier because we can combine that. But you know, being able to walk into a lobby, um, it, it's sad, but it, it's stuff that we have to think about. Mm -hmm. And probably one of the biggest technological advances that I've seen, <laughs> I recently got to visit the Mercy Virtual Care Center. It's in St. Louis, and they have got a whole building. And when I say building, I think it's three stories or four stories. And they hire uh, retired nurses and physicians, or, I mean, you could be uh, one that got hurt on the job and you're recovering, and they monitor patients. And so what this allows is a rural patient could come to the city for surgery, and that's very stressful typically to come into uh, St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And then when they go back two hours away, they can do what they call this, um, uh, I guess it's like virtual healthcare, if you will. And um, they can go to a clinic and they leave the hospital with certain monitors on them. And so the physicians can uh, watch how they've been recovering. Say they had some heart work done and they, they've got more information with that monitor being on them. Then they can go to their clinic locally and then they can do a telehealth um, session. And then the doctor can talk to them that way and tell them all that's going on. And that patient doesn't have to drive all the way into St. Louis. Hmm. They also were showing me that the patients, when they are brought into a, a big hospital like Mercy Hospital in St. Louis, they put them on a monitor and someone is constantly watching that. And they were telling me that, I can't remember the specifics, but say a patient's heart rate goes up three times and then the fever comes. They know that that person, and that's an example, mm -hmm. um, that person's going to have a stroke in the next 24 hours. Mm -hmm. They've got so much information. And so all of these patients are being monitored uh, while they're there in the bed by somebody off-site, and it's just helping them give better care before something bad happens, if you will, okay. and when they're there for something else. So that just blew my mind, and then I thought it was so great to see all of these people employed that maybe they couldn't work on a floor. Maybe they've got knee problems or, you know, a hip problem, and they're able to sit there, and, you know, and they're looking at so many screens, but it, I, w I was just so impressed with it, and they were saying that this is what healthcare, how it will be delivered. Mm. And it's really on. 
And they were saying they had a very hard time getting any of the insurance companies to partner with them. Hmm. And uh, they've become, I believe, to understand that they said that they are self-insured. So they're taking in their patients and offering insurance there. And then it's in their best interest as a hospital and healthcare system to make sure that those people are doing well. Oh, wow. So um, it was amazing. I just... We played it for two hours, and I just thought, "Oh my gosh, now what do I do?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so overwhelming. But I think that's, I think that's what's coming. Huh. That's fascinating. Uh, well, and especially when you look at how many rural hospitals have had to close mm-hmm. due to the politics and the economics, mm-hmm. and if this is an opportunity to deliver healthcare to people that just don't have access, mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. Well, and then. One final question here is uh, a little bit earlier, you talked about the spa setting in, in healthcare. Um, where are you seeing, and, I, and I, I'm also thinking about senior living because we now see that there are places where people age into their environments, things of that nature. But where are you seeing healthcare, you know, being influenced from or overlapping with um, other design sectors? Well, so yeah, obviously the spa. So um, we just did a facility um, outside of Nashville in Murfreesboro, and um, it, it has a spa-like setting, and they do offer spa services. Um, but one of the things that the elderly people have trouble with is their feet and getting down to you know trim their toenails and, and take better care of them. And so um, we did that where the elderly can come in and you know, it's podiatry care, but it's set up, you know, as a spa. And then while they're there, they can buy skin products or they can get other uh, facials or massages. But um, it was interesting to see that overlap. And then uh, they also offer a weight loss or nutrition out of that same uh, clinic. But gosh, when you walk in, they've got it down to the music, the right music and the right uh, smells, if you will. So uh, I think that's great. And then same thing with the senior living. Uh, we had a personal experience with my husband's dad, and uh, same thing. You know, nobody wanted to trim uh, Mark's dad's walls, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. So, uh, but they offered that. They're inside the facilities. Um, you know, we always think about the the beauty shop for the ladies, but uh, they also need those those things. And so um, he would go down and get a pedicure. And of course, his first time, he was very combative, and this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Once he got his feet soaked and he felt so good, you know, he was so, yeah. so um, but we do see a lot of that. And um, we talked about the aging in. So we have not had an opportunity to do that. We've only uh, done the typical senior living um, where it's mm-hmm. assisted care and then you can graduate to the nursing type of care. But we have not done where you can move in and you're yeah, you know how they say it's a over 55 community or 60, and then you can live. We've got mm-hmm. one down the road here in Brentwood, um, but I've not had the opportunity to design one of those. But um, I think it's fascinating. I think um, I, I would love to talk to the patient or even the patient's family on how they got their loved one into that because um, that that's such a personally, I'm struggling that with my parents, you know, how do you get them to start thinking that way when they want to stay in their home? And then we see all of this technology that's allowing um, elderly people to stay in their homes. Um, I was at a conference where they were talking about how you can have on the flooring um, 
and it memorizes your parents' steps. So you know that they typically get up, you know, between seven or eight. And if the coffee pot doesn't go on or they don't walk to the kitchen, you know, someone is called or, you know, someone is lying on the floor too long. Someone is called. Mm -hmm. So, which I love that. And ideally that's fantastic for someone who wants to stay in their home. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that battles out. If that is what ends up happening is that they, people are going to start staying home more or if they are going to go into these more uh, luxurious units where uh, you, you know, you phase into different uh, needs. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Um, my great-grandmother lived to be 99, and her brother lived to be 103. And she, he was still in his home, but, um, you know, that was one of those things is that she kept, she was so stubborn. Absolutely, she was the best, but she was also incredibly stubborn. And so, like, it wasn't until months later that we found out that it was taking her a good three hours just to get up in the morning and... Um, and recently I was talking to my grandma and, you know, she wants to stay in her home and she was talking about, oh, you know, it used to be that you always stayed in your home and this whole thing. Meanwhile, like two weeks later, I saw my aunt and uncle, my grandmother's oldest daughter. And my aunt was like, we just bought, you know, like this piece of property down in Florida. It's one of those aging places and we can't wait. Like their kids are still about to graduate high school and the kids are so annoyed and they're like, Oh man, as soon as these kids are out, we're leaving. Like, and she was so excited and like telling me all about how amazing this, like this adventure was going to be, you know? And it was such a different conversation than I had two weeks earlier with her mom, who I don't think my grandma would ever think about moving to, uh, to retirement center, you know? And, and meanwhile, <laughs> My aunt is even retired yet, and she cannot wait. You know, <laughs> see, it's really got to do something with um, their understanding of it, or because um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is losing the freedom, and so that's what we're fighting. With my mm -hmm. father is he thinks he drives fine, and he thinks that he can make these trips across the U.S. in the car, and we're always like, "God bless, Dad," you're, and he will not fly. Yeah, <laughs> And so even the thought of him giving up his freedom to go into, that's how he would call it, would be giving up his freedom to go into a living retirement center. I just, ugh, it's going to be tough. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's interesting that someone a generation younger is like, no, we're all about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was funny because later that week I met another designer who's uh, her in-laws are moving to that same like retirement community and they cannot wait. And I was like, Oh my God, they're going to be neighbors with my aunt. Like, <laughs> like, but you know, I, th I think that's so great because, uh, you know, taking away that stigma of, of healthcare, uh, in any kind of setting is, is always a, such a good positive move forward. Um, because so much of it is psychological. Um, oh, it is, and the loneliness. Mark's father, my husband's father, um, well, his mom passed away first, and then his dad struggled to, he wasn't going to move in, and then he finally moved into a living retirement center, and that was one of the first things that he said. Well, for him to go, he said he was going to stay for one month, so only rent it for one month, and then he'll decide. So, you know, obviously we couldn't do that, but that's what we told him, and we talked mm -hmm. about how much he loved the interaction. He didn't realize how lonely he was. And no one mm -hmm. comes to see him as often because his friends are the same mm -hmm. age. And so 
um, once he got there, he realized, you know, gosh, this is fun. And, and he got to have his happy hour at four o'clock and he got to do the things that he enjoyed. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's tough. And but the other thing that's interesting about interior finishes with health, uh, senior living, we uh, were working with uh, actually Brookdale at this time, and uh, we were trying to update the colors and you know make them more today's finishes. And uh, they were saying that this is what the children of the patients would want. They'd want to see something of scale and new. But actually, um, when we've gone in to renovate these, the uh, patients are saying, we want things that look like our place, not what our kids would have. And so we want to go back and uh, kind of change things up and make them look like their finishes, if you will. So we ended up uh, bringing in a few more uh, jewel tones and uh, darker woods because they did not care for um, you know, <laughs> so. I don't know. What's the bill? Yeah. Well, you know, it's. Um, I have a friend whose mother went into. Uh, she had to go into assisted care, and she was having a really tough time. And he and I were talking about it, and and I mentioned, well, what in the room is hers? What does she own? What can she, you know, really um, feel? belongs to her and i suggested that he just you know take her to um like walmart and pick out some frames or pick out a blanket you know and and to be able to personalize your own experience is so important um and that's something that so many people i i don't think realize when they're just like you're just getting healthcare, you know you know exactly. this is you know you're not here for fun you're here for you know just to get healthy and it's like but the psychological and the comfort aspect is so important well it is it is and there's so much evidence now that's showing how uh quickly we recover when we you know can look outside or even go outside you know if there's an opportunity to sit outside for a bit um versus the person that's you know doesn't have the window or with any view they're looking at the side of another building so um mm -hmm. I, I just love that people are thinking about that now. And I think all of us are that way, especially when, you know, it, you've had bad weather and it's been cloudy for three or four days. And all you can think about is when the sun comes out and you can, you know, go outside. So mm -hmm. I think we're, we just are born yeah. with that. Um, now, just to, uh, just to wrap up, I always love to ask, is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you think is really important for our listeners to know about um, healthcare and healthcare design? You know, I think you've touched on all of it. I, um, I, I get on my soapbox, and the gals at Bradford are probably rolling their eyes. But um, I've been so frustrated with HGTV, <laughs> and this is my big soapbox lately. And um, I think that it is um, making everyone an expert, if you will, and the lack of mm -hmm. appreciation for what we do um, and the schooling that we've had in. Um, I, I just, it, it really bothers me. And so um, I can't mm. tell you how many times I'm in a meeting and one of someone says, well, on HDTV, they did it like this. Could we do it like that? <sighs> and um, I want to say this, I've never said this, but could you imagine going to the doctor and saying that <laughs> you saw in Grey's Anatomy this particular um, <laughs> thing and could he do that? You know, they would look yeah. at you like, what? <laughs> And um, as a designer, I know that HDTV is, you know, it's staged and uh, 
it's not real. And mm-hmm. so um, anyway, we had this ongoing joke here at the office, you know, how many times was HGTV referenced? And uh, it's awful. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and I always like to say that they've got very, they, they hire people with very good eyes and, you know, don't, I don't think they all understand that not everybody there is uh, an interior designer. And a lot of us five years to get out of school because mm-hmm. it's so intense. So mm-hmm. anyway, I'll get off my soapbox, but that's my number one thing this year. In 2018, <laughs> I'll find something new to talk about in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it makes me think of the fact that like, uh, was it detectives and, and uh, like crime scene investigators are constantly like, beating their head against a wall because, you know, sometimes they come across like a victim or their family who says like, well, I saw on CSI (laughs) Miami that you can just, you know, shoot it with this thing and suddenly, you know, everything, you know, and it's like, um, and it makes me think of a, I, when I was in grad school, I taught um, global issues and design at Parsons with, with undergrads. And I had, we ended up in this really interesting and kind of crazy conversation um, about uh, photoshopping models. And, um, you know, there were quite a few people in the room who were, who were very adamant that this should never happen. And then I actually had two students who were interns for big fashion magazines, and their job was to photoshop the models. And it got into this really heated argument. And one of the gals said, who worked for one of these magazines said, well, everyone knows that what they see in the media is fake. And, and I had to, I like, I had to be like, but is that true? You know, cause if that was true, you wouldn't have people saying, Hey, I saw this on CSI or, Hey, I saw this on HGTV, you know, like it, it is a really strange line where it's hard to, hard to really say like, well, no, everyone knows it's fake and everyone knows that that's not how things go because then we run into real issues where people don't understand the time and commitment and problems and issues that come up with actual oh, design. I, I agree 100%. And I can't even, I, I just, I'm so frustrated. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we often joke, and gosh, this is so politically not correct, but um, I guess we all have maybe experienced the physician's wife who's now going to help on the project and, but no, Mm. uh, no background in design and uh, just has a really Mm -hmm. good eye. And they typically, you know, some of them really do, but it's just so degrading to think that they get a design degree after their husband graduates from med school. And it's just, uh, it's very hard and, and it's something we're challenged with regularly is um everybody's got a design mm-hmm. degree so yeah. <laughs> yeah um well thank you again for joining us today this has been a wonderful conversation oh great thanks for having me it was uh i was a little nervous at the beginning but uh certainly very <laughs> comfortable great well um so just to our listeners just to Uh, remind you all that you can rate review and subscribe to the podcast to get the newest episodes Uh, and as always if you have any questions concerns or thoughts we love to hear them we love to have feedback from people so please let let us know if you have any feedback Um, and until next time thanks so much Mm -hmm.